get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Oh, Christmas in the stars, Christmas in the stars, what a very merry Christmas it will be. Yeah, Christmas in the stars, Christmas with Rebel Force Radio. This week's show for Friday, December 21st, 2018, our last show of the year, unless, unless the episode 9 teaser trailer would happen to debut... And by the way, best laid plans, it was supposed to happen today. All the rumors were pointing to today as we record this, as we record this show, Wednesday, uh, December uh, 19th. Everyone was saying, and by everyone, I'm looking at you, Collider. I'm looking at you, io9, looking at you, all these uh, uh, websites that were saying, and even some of the mainstream sites were picking it up, saying, okay, well, uh, all signs point to some sort of... Uh, announcement or a, ta- a trailer drop today and uh nothing not a title not a trailer nothing well not nothing you got rebel force radio we were not going to leave you behind or disappointed you want some star wars content on your uh week before christmas we're going to give it to you and uh, of course uh joining me in giving all that and so much more my good friend and yours from Chicago, our elf on the shelf, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. We want our trailer. We want it swiftly. We want our trailer swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Like I, I thought you were going for like a, a protest, like a march, like a, we want our trailer. We want it swiftly. We want our trailer. Like that kind of thing. Yes. And, like- and the grand marshal of that march would be Taylor Swift. Taylor so we Swift. would, you know, it would be the Trailer Swift March with Taylor Swift. She a Star Wars fan? She ever talked about that? Hmm, I don't know. Now, of course, uh, our, our lone connection to her would be Kyle Newman, who directed one of her videos. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's Taylor right. happens to be the godmother of Kyle's second son, Leo. So that's a, a little known bit of trivia there. Well, maybe he can fill us in on whether or not... Uh, Taylor's a, a a Star Wars fan, but I've never uh, heard any mention of Taylor Swift and Star Wars in the same sentence. Yeah, um, but Trailer Swift with Taylor Swift, let's make it happen. Maybe we'll get a rumor that she's going to show up. You know, a cameo, one of those uh, sort of pop culture cameos that. Well, isn't Ed Sheeran going to be in? 
I'm glad you said that because I was like, gosh, I swear there was just another one of those in sync style rumors, right? Uh, that he was going to be, um, he was going to be in it. Yeah, Ed Sheeran. Now Daniel Craig, that that one was very visible and very. I mean, if you're a fan of Daniel Craig, and I'm, I'm a bit of a. I got to say, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Daniel Craig. I, I, I maybe too much of a fan. You, of I, 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 I never do this. I, I, are you a Bond fan? Do you like 007 films? <laughs> I do know this. I do, I do, and I, I'm Daniel Craig's my favorite, my favorite Bond. I think I'm ready to call it. I think I'm ready to, you know, I've always been so loyal to Sean Connery, but I think I'm ready to officially call it that uh, now that Daniel is entering probably the, you know, the, the September of his years as James Bond going into a final Bond film here in the next year, um, that he's my favorite Bond. Well, that's good to know. That's something we should talk about on Bondcast. If All we right, ever get around to but, doing wait a minute, an episode. Wait a, minute, wait a minute. You can't discount the Star Wars connection with Daniel Craig. I'll tighten those restraints. Scavenge scum. Did they ever name that trooper? Did they name the trooper like TK007 or something like, you know, clever like that? No, I never heard anything about that, but that would be uh, clever. Uh, name of Daniel Craig's stormtrooper. Because that's probably one of the most um Yeah, yeah, Jason, obvious Jason. Is it TK007? Daniel Craig's First Order Stormtrooper in Star Wars The Force Awakens was given the designation JB007. JB007. Oh, oh they, they're not TKs in uh, the sequel trilogy era, are they? Oh, yeah, I don't know about that because, of course, John Boyega was uh, Finn, FN2187. Right. So no TK there. Mm-hmm. That's a First Order designation. JB007. JB. But I'm trying to think when you look back at Star Wars cameos, um, there's not a lot of them, right? I mean, there's not a lot of those kind of, um, oh, this celeb just wants to be in a Star Wars movie. Um, Now, famously, uh, Jim, you've brought up on the show before that Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi wanted to be in Empire, right? Was it, does this go back to Empire or was it? Yeah, it must have been Empire. You know, this is interesting. I don't know about Dan, but John Belushi specifically was lobbying Carrie Fisher while they were shooting the Blues Brothers in Chicago back in the Mm -hmm. late 70s. Mm -hmm. He was lobbying her to go to George Lucas and say, book John Belushi and put him in the next Star Wars film. Belushi wanted to be in Return of the Jedi. Oh, and I okay. so it was definitely Jedi then because I, I I don't remember the the year that they would have been filling Blues Brothers. And, it was like seventy nine, I would assume. Seventy nine. So Blues going Brothers into came out eighty. Okay, so, so they might have already wrapped Empire by that point. Oh, for sure. Well, Carrie was in the Blues Brothers. Well, no, I know that, but I'm saying so. If they're filming in seventy nine, she would have filmed Blues Brothers oh, yes. and and Empire in the same year. Yeah, Empire. No, M- Empire was shot in seventy eight, wasn't it? That they well, shoot that maybe seventy eight, seventy nine, summer seventy to get it out in eighty. Yeah, you know, and then just kept shooting all the way through. But yeah, so Belushi wanted yeah. to be in Jedi. So um, you know, that makes you think. Well, what character would John Belushi play in Return of the Jedi if George Lucas took the bait? And the answer is so clear. It's so obvious. Belushi would have been perfect as the Rancor Keeper, Malakili. Oh, Malakili, you would have been great with the crying and all that. It's a comedic moment. John was big, and he kind of looked like Malakili a little bit. Yeah. 
Malakilir B. He was a killer bee. Oh, yeah. yeah they have him wearing a bee suit. <laughs> that would be th- that would take me out of it. But that never happened, right? That, that never, happened. never happened. The NSYNC cameo that was rumored going into episode two, Attack of the Clones, that never happened. Uh, the, the, the Daniel Craig uh, cameo, I remember when it was being talked about, and we talked about it on the show and said, that'll be like one of those NSYNC things. It'll, it, it'll never happen or you'll never know it's him. And, and sure enough, boy, there we are sitting in the theater, and that voice comes on, and it was unmistakable. I mean, I knew from the, from the moment he opened his mouth. You knew from the him. moment he took a step. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can like, tell oh, he's got to walk. Yeah, yeah, he he's got a certain walk. But I'm trying to think is that the only kind of real pop culture type uh Star Wars cameo at least in any of the films? That's a good question. Because outside of the core cast, mm-hmm. you had primarily uh London extra actors filling out right. most of the roles that have then just become so famous. Now, who's the guy that Mark Hamill loves from The Young Ones? And a couple other British sitcoms that, that, that was in uh, The Last Jedi. In fact, there's a photo that just recently Mark started pushing around Twitter. Uh, I can't think of the guy's name. Funny, funny, funny guy. Uh, British comedian, uh, actor, The Young Ones, classic British mm. sitcom. Um, and, of course, yeah, Mark being the absolute Anglophile that he is, particularly with British comedy, British entertainment, uh, he just lost it when he found out that he was actually on the set. Um, so that might qualify, though. I think the guy was just, you know, getting some work. I don't think it was like, oh, we've got to have this guy because he is who he is. Now, you might consider who's the friend of uh, JJ that shows up in uh, all his movies. Well, Simon freaking Peg. Well, Simon friggin' Peg. Oh, you're talking it, about Greg Grunberg. Greg Grunberg. Now, yeah. that might be considered a cameo. Uh you know, kind of a pop culture cameo. Yeah, he's but he's not on the level of someone like a Daniel Craig. Yeah, that's true. That's by true. the way, the guy you're thinking of that Mark yeah. Hamill was a big fan of uh, is a guy named Adrian Edmondson. Yeah, all right, and he's in that show that you enjoy so much. Um, the young, <laughs> the young ones. ones. Oh my God, you never watched that? That no. used to be on. Uh... I never. Watched I think uh, V it was either VH1 or MTV used to play that in like the late '80s. The reruns of that. Gotcha. It was a funny show. So he was Captain Peavy in uh-huh. Star Wars: right. The Last Jedi. So he was uh, one of those. Is he the uh, tooling with you, sir? Is that who's Captain? I thought Peavy? he. Well, I thought he was the guy. I thought Peavy was the guy that said we should have done it, blasted five minutes ago or whatever it was. When he says uh, he finally gets the order that he wants from Hux, and. Uh, to engage or something and he ticked off that they should have engaged earlier or something like that but yeah um, yeah he's definitely yeah. on the bridge uh yeah. with Hux during uh yeah, i think he's the tooling with you sir he might be tooling yeah guy. he's tooling he with you tooling. definitely <laughs> well that uh, <laughs> that didn't come out the way i meant it to uh <laughs> captain peavy i believe he's tooling with you sir about his mother but anyway i i, I was just trying to think if there were any of, of these these types of cameos in in Star Wars. And uh, now what I love about this is you and I are going to be sitting here racking our brains and then we'll open up our email on Saturday morning and it'll just be full of corrections and uh, tons of examples that uh, obviously the listeners will have. No, I'm cheating. I got the Google open. Oh, you uh, do? Yeah. Did did you did you do Star Wars cameos? No, I'm just 
Uh, well, I will, though. Should I? I think you should. Star Wars cameo. Star Wars cameo. Now, look, so spare your, your uh, Facebook comments. Oh, this is fantastic. We're not, we're not counting uh, episodes of Clone Wars and Rebels where people... We're just talking about the, the, the films at this point. But All right, you want you you a few? Yeah, there, yeah there's a few yeah, articles here. Okay. There's a few articles here, um, but some big ones. Prince William and Prince Harry. Mm. Did that happen? I, I definitely know they were on the set yes. and they were in wardrobe, but whether or not they're actually visible in uh, the film is uh, in the final film, it, the last Jedi. Yeah. That is, is yeah. I, I, they may have been stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Hardy was a stormtrooper okay, in a cut that, scene. That I remember. Yep. Cut yep. scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and a scene that really needed to be cut from the film. With uh, this uh, jive-talking stormtrooper who's on the turbo lift, and he recognizes Finn, and uh, it's 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 a cumbersome moment. I mean, I, mm. thank God it got excised from the final film. Mm. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the Last Jedi. Oh yeah. Well, they came from up there and just yeah, right. <laughs> Now I never would have guessed that that was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, you know he did like the you know the hayseed hick accent there pretty well. But the guy who played the master codebreaker, Justin Thoreau, is known to people who watch a show called The Leftovers. Oh, he was the codebreaker with the with the flower, right? Red palm Uh, bloom. Yeah, right, right. Uh, So this is primarily a list from. That crazy last Jedi movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would assume that most of these, the bulk of these are going to be in the, the sequel trilogy. Um, you didn't see a lot of that going on in the, in the, in the prequels. Oh, you could count E.T. Throw him Yeah, in I would. I would. I yeah. definitely would. Um, looking at another list. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Daniel Craig is number one. Richard Armitage in The Phantom Menace. Who is Richard? Um, he's not exactly an A-lister, is he? He was uh, not really. the leader of the dwarves in Peter Jackson's Hobbit prequel trilogy. So uh, if you were a big fan of that, uh, you would have recognized him in The okay. Phantom Menace. He was a Naboo pilot. Well, of course, George Lucas himself made a cameo appearance. In well, that, yep, Avengers. that's a good one. That's a good one. That's fair. And the whole uh, Lucas family there. Uh, Jet was in there and Amanda and the other one. Here's a, a great cameo, known better for being behind the camera than in front of it, but uh, absolutely memorable for her acting debut in Godfather 3. Oh, Sofia Coppola, yes! Yeah. Sofia Coppola, who's, who's a very accomplished director and, um, you know, someone who grew up, obviously, knowing, I'm guessing Uncle George is probably what she calls him. Yeah, uh, so maybe so yeah. I, that's what I call him for crying yeah. out loud. Now, that uh, was, that's a good one as a cameo. I'm thinking of the other handmaiden, Kira Knightley, but she wasn't real well known at that point. She hadn't done the right. Pirates movie, so You're that I wouldn't right. count that as a cameo. But she does show up in there. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be leaning on her her pop culture reputation at that time. She got the gig because she was a she right like match Natalie for Portman. Natalie Portman. Yeah, exactly. Right. 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 He got a couple of guys in Kanji Club. 
who are uh, well known for uh, the movies The Raid and The Raid 2, which Ooh. are just, I mean, for my book, those movies, those Raid movies, have the most amazing fight choreography, martial arts fight choreography. In any movie ever. I mean, well, I remember brutal fight scenes. I remember sitting here doing the show and, you know, obviously The Force Awakens was was in production and we were getting these rumors and these reports of some of the people that were going to show up in this movie. I remember you saying that, Jim. You're like, oh, man, if these guys are doing martial arts moves and stuff in there, you've got to look out for this. This is going to be off the hook. Right. But they didn't really do any of that. No, they, they just didn't. ran away from the Raftars, yeah. screaming and stuff. <laughs> That's what, that was about it. Yeah. Heck, we could have done that. <laughs> they have our jobs. Another they great took our careers. Another great cameo. Uh, again, not banking on any sort of pop culture value that he had at the time, but somebody who certainly became known to everyone as his role as Cliff Clavin in Cheers. John Ratzenberger was in The Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Right? Treat Williams was in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Who was Treat Williams? Was he just... He was a rebel. He was a Hoth rebel. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But again, you know, inconsequential cameo, essentially an extra... Yeah. Um, but just being in the right place at the right time at that point in his career to land in a Star Wars movie. Again, these these uh, guys weren't being booked for the film based on their A-list success. Well, a guy like Daniel Craig, absolutely. He just yeah. says, I want to be a stormtrooper. And it's like, well, okay. I, I think they were the, 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 the production of Spectre and uh, Force Awakens butted up against each other. It's only natural. If you're going to be shooting a Star Wars movie at Pinewood Studios, you're damn right the current 007 is going to be a stormtrooper (laughs) if he wants to be. There's probably legal paperwork for that. (laughs) Well, that's what I mean. This is, uh, you know what? This is what a lot of this uh, episode is going to be this week. Of course, the holidays are a great time to uh, get nostalgic and look back. And one of the things we'll be doing is taking a look at the year that was 2018. What a year it was for Star Wars and for uh, Star Wars fans all around the world. We had the home video release of Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. We had a theatrical release of uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Those are two big moments. I, I don't think we've ever seen a home video release and a theatrical release of uh, a major uh, motion picture, Star Wars motion picture, all in the same year. I mean, that's just absolutely uh, crazy to think about. So anyway, we're glad that you're here. So happy to be with you here on our special Christmas episode of Rebel Force Radio. Tom King, this is the voice of Yoda. Wishing you a Merry Christmas, I hear. Yeah. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in the hope that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced on their heads. Hello, this is Nika Futterman, and I play Asajj Ventress. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Hey, before we get into the rest of the program, I do want to take a moment 
and uh, mark the passing of Penny Marshall. Uh, you're saying, hey, this is a Star Wars podcast. What are you talking about Laverne for? Well, uh, I have just so many memories watching uh, Laverne and Shirley. And just the older I got, the more I just marveled at what a comedic um, talent uh, Penny Marshall was. And not just her as a performer on shows like Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days. Um, but a, a fabulous director, a league of their own. One of my, one of my all time favorite movies, um, uh, as well as a big, um, she's just, uh, in, 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 incredible, incredible talent. The star Wars connection is that she actually was very, very close personal friends with the late Carrie Fisher. And, uh, it's kind of a, a, a fun story that it was Lorne Michaels, a uh, longtime producer of Saturday night live who decided that um, Carrie and Penny would get along pretty well. So uh, at the time, uh, Carrie Fisher was married to Paul Simon. Uh, Penny Marshall was married to uh, uh, Rob Reiner. And uh, so the two of them just became fast friends. In fact, they ended up having an annual tradition where they would throw a joint birthday party uh, for each other. And that would happen every year in December. And it was for the longest time, it became the place to be. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Robin Williams, Angelica Houston, uh, even David Bowie once crashed the party. Everybody wanted to be at Penny and Carrie's joint birthday party in December. Now, when Carrie passed away, we played a clip here on Rebel Force Radio of an appearance that she made on Laverne and Shirley, and it happened to be an episode that also guest starred the legendary Hugh Hefner. And in the episode, you had uh, Penny Marshall as Laverne DeFazio uh, auditioning to be a Playboy bunny. Yeah. And uh, Carrie was there as well, uh, both of them looking fabulous in the iconic uh, bunny suits. And it's just a it's a brilliant scene. I mean, what a absolutely you know, you hate to use that word genius because it's used so much, but I think uh, Penny Marshall as a physical comedian was just genius. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. She was great. I mean, Tuesday nights, happy days at 7 o'clock, rolling into Laverne and Shirley at 7.30. It was must-see TV back then. So uh, we're going to play that clip of Carrie and Penny, the classic great friends that they were. And uh, here they are in Laverne and Shirley trying to do the best that they can, <laughs> posing as Playboy bunnies. You'll actually hear Carrie Fisher singing here, and she does a pretty darn good job. So everyone listen to this. Hoist up a milk and Pepsi or uh, whatever, a, a shots, yeah. shots beer, you know. Shots beer, milk, Pepsi, absolutely. You know, and and uh, toast uh, to the great Penny Marshall. Please tell me, how tight do these things have to be before they're legally declared skin? I can't breathe in this. Me neither. Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> now, Kathy may not make the best bunny, but you're making a big mistake, because she can sing like crazy. I'll help you. Okay, hit it! There's not a man today who's gonna take me away from my guy. From my guy. Tell him again. There's not a man today who could take me away from my guy. 
and Jimmy. Um, this is Ashley, and I'm calling from New Boston, Texas. Um, I discovered Rebel Force Radio about six months ago, so I looked it up, and I think I binge-listened to about 30 episodes of RFR that week, <laughs> and I'm, I haven't missed an episode since then. Um, but every once in a while, I'll go back and to the very early days of RFR and listen to an occasional episode. Um, tonight... I was listening to the September 22nd, 2013 episode called Ashley Eckstein's Birthday Bash. And I wondered if Jimmy Mack realized that he was a prophet. Um, you guys were talking with Ashley um, about her accessibility to the fans and the community of support um, for female fans that she had created through her website. And uh, Jimmy posed this question at about the one hour, 18 minute mark. He said, uh, what's it like for you to have an outlet like her universe where you get to meet all these people and share a similar passion and have a lot of stories to tell and they come to you. You sort of seem to be this center, this fulcrum for their stories and it gets out there through your website. And um, I just about spewed my tea <laughs> everywhere when I heard him say that. And I looked it up and this was more than a year prior to the premiere of Star Wars Rebels. So I can't help but wonder if Ashley already knew what was in store for Ahsoka and did Jimmy Mack have an insider scoop and slip everyone a little Easter egg? Um, if not, did he ever receive credit for giving Ahsoka her code name? <laughs> but thanks for all the great content you guys put out every week. Um, I really don't have anyone else to geek out about Star Wars with, so I, I really enjoy listening to you guys. And I um, always look forward to new episodes. Well, first of all, it is absolutely our pleasure to be your remote geek out crew here at rebel force radio so actually anytime you want to geek out just turn on uh, rebel force radio um this this kind of blows me away a little bit because uh i i, I know what we're, we're, we're going to talk about next there was there was there was another pretty famous uh jimmy mac prediction that did come true uh this one i don't i don't remember or didn't remember until ashley's voicemail listening to it it all started kind of flowing back i remember that uh episode we did where it was ashley's birthday we had various guests popping on and uh obviously yeah. giving ashley a lot of credit uh which we have done a lot of through the years for being uh someone who was quite the bridge builder for all different types of star wars fans and uh that's something that we highlighted very heavily on our show but um Actually, Jim, you coming out and calling Ashley a fulcrum a year before? Yeah, uh, this is weird. This is weird. Now, listen, I find it very interesting because no one has brought this up to me before. Now, I'll get to there's a There's another reference that I'm going to get to shortly. And, and that one I was familiar with. But this one, when it was brought up to me in the voicemail, I was like, wow, you know, I don't remember this. So I was pretty excited to actually go back and uh, find the moment. And uh, thank you to uh, Ashley on the RFR voicemail hotline. She gave me the exact time and location of the audio. So uh, why don't we go ahead and play that? This mm -hmm. is uh, a year before Rebels debuted, and I call Ashley a, a fulcrum. <laughs> With all the exciting things coming out with Rebels and all the movies and um, other things that can't be talked about yet, uh, <laughs> lots, lots of lots of great things in the works. So I just I 
definitely do not think the fans will be disappointed. What's that like for you to have a, an outlet like Her Universe where you get to meet all these people who share a similar passion and have a lot of stories to tell? And they come to you and you seem to be sort of this, this center, this, this fulcrum for their stories. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. So I called her fulcrum. And that was a year before Rebels debuted. Mm-hmm. So that's wild. I That one I never knew about. There was another one, though. I mean, another <laughs> weird moment. Oh, by the way, with me calling Ashley Fulcrum, I have achieved the level of profit. Profit. <laughs> like, if this couldn't get any crazier, that's not the only time I actually connected Ashley and Ahsoka with the Fulcrum title. Here's an email from uh, Daniel who says, I was listening to some older episodes and I noticed that Jimmy Mack predicted the future. In the episode Clone Wars Declassified, The Wrong Jedi, posted on March 7th, 2013, Paul Bateman is talking about how he hopes that Ahsoka will have a big impact on the story. Jimmy Mack then replies by referring to Ahsoka as a necessary fulcrum. This was 13 days before Rebels was even announced. So well done for telling the future. Uh, so let's hear that clip. Oh, man. By the time we get to Return of the Jedi, that maybe things could not have worked out the way they worked out without her. You know? Wow. Well, so she was like a, a linchpin in, in many ways. She, she was She was a yeah. necessary fulcrum for everything to work the way it was supposed to work. That would ah. be nice. Huh? Ah! Crazy! So I called Amazing. Ahsoka a fulcrum and I called Ashley a fulcrum before any of that ever came to light on Star Wars Rebels. Fulcrum. Ahsoka. My name is Ahsoka Tano. Meanwhile... Yeah, fulcrum sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, Jimmy Mack. Yeah. He, he drives in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, Ashley on the voicemail asked if I ever received any credit. And uh, the answer is no. No credit. But I mean, come <laughs> on. I, let's not be so uh, arrogant. Credit. To think just, credits, huh? I mean, let's not be so arrogant just to think that, you know, me talking out of my butt on a Star Wars podcast is going to get me any sort of credit, you know. Um, we could take it to, to arbitration, though. And, uh, yeah, can you imagine the people's court? James McInerney, back on March 7th, 2013. <laughs> I'd be all like, you know, Misa representing myself. <laughs> That'd be fun. Uh, oh, so, my gosh. There but, is but another that's one. not the only time. There's, there's that's not the only one. time. Yep. We have another RFR prediction that did come true. And we've made reference to this a lot, but I don't think I ever actually went back and dug up the sound. But uh, according to William Millay, we actually predicted who the next fulcrum would be in an episode of Rebels Declassified for the uh, Vision of Hope first season episode of Star Wars Rebels. I predicted Callus would flip sides. He would become a rebel. I didn't know when. I didn't know how. 
But I called that in season one, and Callus didn't jump sides until season four, I think. Right? I mean, we were uh, maybe for it. maybe three. I I think he did in three, and then he came back in four. You know, with the hair. Oh yes, yeah, that's I think right. he ended the series with the hair. So William Molay says uh, Jimmy predicted Callus's turn to the rebels in a season one episode of Rebels: The Classified. It's the Rebels the Classified episode of Vision of Hope. This was the episode with Brent Spiner's character, Gail Travis. Jimmy calls it by stating if there ever was a character to turn Rebel, it would be Callus. Awesome prediction. Well, thanks, William. So I actually uh, went back and uh, dug up the audio just to hear it for myself. I remember thinking it and feeling it, but never actually went back to track down where that actual prediction happened. But here it is in our 10th episode. Of Rebels to Classified. So about mid-season, right in the middle of season one, I started to somehow feel a tremor in the force about Callus. I feel like there's something underneath the surface with Callus. And if there's ever a character that I think could turn on the Empire, it would be Callus. And so I'm, I'm curious to see if, if his blind ambition might get a little bit of clarity as his character grows throughout the series, could he become an eventual future rebel? How cool would that be? What a huge coup that would be for the rebellion to be able to make Callus defect. I know nobody's talked about it, and I'm happy to be the first one to do that. That's a little prediction I'm making here on the show. Agent Callus will defect to the rebellion. When? I don't know, but I just I have a feeling. Listen to me. I am Fulcrum. <laughs> Yeah, right. You want us to believe that? By the light of Lothal's moons. The code phrase. Well, he's Fulcrum? Man, I'm freaking out. That's awesome. That is crazy. I love that it. That is crazy. It. Uh, that one, you know, like I said, that, that one's pretty fresh in my memory. Um, the, the, the Ashley slash Ahsoka as a, as a fulcrum that, that, that came out of nowhere, Yeah, but how cool. So thank you so much, uh, Ashley, uh, William Malay, uh, Daniel for, uh, bringing those up. Those are, those are really fun to listen to. Jim, I know one of your projects uh, as if you needed another project is actually going back and, um, starting with the clone wars declassified and all of our, roundtable looks at Clone Wars episodes. You're cleaning those up and re-releasing those out for people to enjoy now. Yeah, you could get them only if you're a member of the Rebel Force Radio Patreon community in the RFR Rewind tier. So that's where you want to sign up and you'll be getting episodes of Clone Wars Declassified Remastered along with a spinoff show we have called The Filoni Files where we're compiling every Dave Filoni interview we ever did and just making it very accessible for you guys. A lot of this stuff, I don't even think you can really find it online anymore. Some highlights from the Filoni files are now landing on our YouTube channel. And we're going to be doing a lot more with our YouTube channel come 2019. But uh, for now, you can get all kind of great highlights from past Rebel Force Radio episodes and highlights from the Filoni files. And, of course, you can get the weekly shows there, too. Oh, and the Christmas music specials. There's a lot happening on YouTube right now. So uh, if, if that's your, uh, your preferred method of getting Star Wars entertainment is YouTube, 
please dive right in. It's all about trying to make this stuff easily accessible to not only us, but to you guys. So, you know, there have been times I, I'm digging around looking for something specific. So it's going to be great to have it all nice and organized and available for everyone to look at on YouTube. If but, I may, I yeah. watch so much YouTube with my daughter, so I've always wanted to say this. So remember to hit that subscribe button and smash that like button. Do it. Rebel yeah. Force Radio on, yeah, you on YouTube. Do it. Smash it, like it, lick it, whatever you need to do. <laughs> oh, man. Hey there, this is Ashley Eckstein. I'm the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars The Clone Wars. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. It's the George Lucas Chia Pet. Move over, Barack Obama Chia Pet. Just add the magic Chia Pet seeds and watch it grow. Wow, look at how bushy his beard is. With the new George Lucas Chia Pet, I have as much green on my head as I have in my wallet. Just add the magic Chia Pet seeds and watch it grow. Check out that fro. Fun for all ages. I'm going to use this for my science project at school. It's sure to be a first place. Revolutionizing filmmaking and home gardening. That head is greener than a doobat. And be sure to pick up Darth Chia and Chia Baca. It's the George Lucas Chia Pet. I look pretty good with a green fro. Hey, boys and girls, just in time for Christmas, it's the Star Wars Christmas album. Order now and you'll get songs like Yoda's Joy to the Universe. Joy to the Universe, the Death Star's blown up, and now we all are free. <coughs> the galaxy is listening. Well, and it just wouldn't be a holiday episode of Rebel Force Radio if we didn't remind you of your obligation, your duty each and every year as we say goodbye to the old year and say hello to the new year to blow up the Death Star at midnight. And last year, I think it was last year, Jim, yeah, that we happened to be uh, doing this together. You were at your place. Uh, I'm at my place. I decided to do this for the first time last year. And uh, I asked my daughter if she wanted to stay up with me uh, to midnight. It was the first year she got to stay up to see the, uh, well, not the ball drop, but see the Death Star explode. It's the first time I ever did it. And we were sort of texting back and forth. And you happened to be recording video at the moment that it struck midnight. The Death Star blew up. And that video... I do have it. Speaking of cameos, I do have a little cameo in there because I'm texting you right at the moment when uh, the Death Star blew up. But that video that you took on your phone went viral and got millions of hits. Yeah, yeah. 3.2 million at least. And uh, that's just on, on Facebook. But it really got spread around everywhere. You could see the video on YouTube now. And uh, it's titled Happy Star Wars New Year. Blow up the Death Star at midnight. Perfect timing, because it was perfect timing. The thing that made the video so great is that you have the atomic clock on the app on my phone, and my son Michael was shooting the television set with his phone, and he's shooting video of the television set. It's not like he's Elvis Presley or anything. He's <laughs> pulling out a revolver and opening it up on our, our color TV. He was... 
he was shooting a video. Um, so I put the, the atomic clock right underneath so you see it all time out so perfectly. And it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. So that's what you want to do. You want to blow up the Death Star at midnight. And there's a special way you have to go about doing that. This is a McInerney family tradition that dates back probably to around 1999 is when I first started doing that, this thing with uh, VHS. I was a young father, a young parent, and I had an infant, and we were not going out on New Year's Eve. That was a shock to my system. I'm a you know New Year's Eve party animal, of course. But, uh, hey, you, you cross that threshold into parenthood, things do change, including staying home on New Year's Eve. So I said, well, you know what? Gosh darn, I'm going to make the best of it, and I'm going to do things that I really like, like eat steak and lobster and drink margaritas and watch Star Wars. And it got me thinking, how cool would it be if I could time out the original Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, and time it out just so perfectly that the Death Star explodes right at the stroke of midnight. So I did the math, and I figured it out, and it worked. And it worked so well that first year we did picture in picture. So we had the ball dropping in the corner, or the countdown to midnight locally, and then we had the ball exploding in the main screen, and it timed out perfectly. So it became a family tradition, and then once I found myself online and participating in Star Wars podcasting, then I realized that this was a little, a little family treasure that I wanted to share with everyone. And it's taken off like, like wildfire. And I think especially in the wake of the viral video from last New Year's Eve, I think more people will be doing it this year than ever before. I'm happy that a lot of people are doing it. And a lot of people look to alter the deal or they look to mm. customize. So they say, oh, okay, well, you're blowing up the Death Star in A New Hope. I'm going to blow up the Death Star in Return of the Jedi just to be different. But you know what? Here, it just, nothing works as well as blowing up the Death Star in A New Hope. And I'll tell you why. Blowing up the Death Star in Jedi is, it's great. I mean, I love Jedi, don't get me wrong. But the problem with it is that there's a ton of downtime between the Death Star blowing up and the universe celebrating. A lot of people like to point, hey, look, the whole universe is celebrating in my New Year's, <laughs> my New Year's Eve countdown. Uh -huh. But I mean, but you have to wait. There's, there's all that doubt. You have to sit through Vader's funeral. Bummer. Han and Leia talking. He's my brother. <laughs> Your brother? Well, what the hell? I just saw you. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you have to wait for the celebration, and that huh? defeats the whole purpose, okay? Mm -hmm. Some people are like, hey, uh, what about Starkiller Base in The Force Awakens? You know, take that. I am, I am modern and progressive. <laughs> and I say I appreciate the effort. But the only film that works for me at midnight is the original Star Wars. It works perfectly. Starkiller Base takes too long, and it kind of implodes instead of exploding. So you yeah. don't get that big pop. It's far less of an impact. Far less. I, I totally agree in both cases, and that you know me, I love Return of the Jedi, but I have wa you know I've watched that film enough since being being aware of this tradition, and I always think like yeah, that's not that's not a good New Year's pop, that's not a good stroke of midnight moment. That one in Empire Strikes Back or in Star Wars where you've got that that tight close up of Peter Cushing is Tarkin right before it explodes. 
It doesn't get any better than that. Oh, the intensity. I mean, it, it, it just builds and builds and builds. And then that big bang. It's the yeah. big bang. Immediately followed by no dialogue, celebration at Yavin Base, and then the big throne room. Bash of the century. What a great way to ring it. And you have that John Williams triumphant, the mm. most triumphant Star Wars music that Williams ever composed. Perhaps the most triumphant music he's ever composed is that throne room. See, that, mm-hmm. that music, it's just, it's such a great feeling. And the champagne is flowing. In my house, it's a tradition to make sure the first thing you eat in the new year is a green grape. And you're supposed to, huh. like, it's supposed to, like, bring money to you. Is that an Irish yeah. thing? Uh, no, you know, it comes from Wendy. So I was wondering if it's a Italian, Italian thing. thing. Yeah. But um, I, I, I don't, I've never heard anyone talk about it before. But uh, that, that's always our thing. So it's almost like when I crush down on that green grape, the Death Star is exploding again in my mouth. It's wonderful. What a great way to ring in the new year. I'm not kidding you. And, and some people have even tried to twist this around and incorporate Marvel Universe. And they want to time it out for when Thanos does his, his snap in um, Avengers Affinity War. I know I'm speaking a different language to you because you still have yeah, not seen what is seen probably the most earth-shaking superhero film to ever be released. Well, and you're still sitting yet. on gotta, the sidelines for that. I got to go see that. You don't? Is that at the theater? No. God <laughs> damn. All right, so blowing up the Death Star at midnight. So people are saying, oh, the Thanos stamp. That's a bummer. That's a bummer. And I'm not going to get into it for why that's a bummer because Swank still has it. He's like the last guy in the in the universe I who know, hasn't I seen know. the Infinity War. So the original Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. The directions for how to blow up the Death Star at midnight are available at rebelforceradio.com. I will make sure that uh, that article is on our homepage so you can easily access it. The Start Times um, Digital Edition is the newest. uh, Like I said, I've been doing this since the VHS days. The Digital Edition in my book is the best way to time it out perfectly because there is absolutely no lag time from when you hit play. To win mm. the because with a Blu-ray or a, a DVD, there's sometimes a little bit of lag time. So mm. what I like to do is I like to put the disc in and I get the film all queued up. So the first thing you see when you hit play is that Lucasfilm logo. You're not sitting through any sort of FBI warnings or any kind of trailers. Right. You yeah. know, you have to. Accuracy is essential here. Mm. And you'll find that there are variants with the different mediums. There's not just one set time. They're, they're all, there's a difference in all of them. So with the digital edition, you want to press play on New Year's Eve at 10.02 and 43 seconds. 10.02.43 p.m. Okay? And please don't send me an email saying, well, what time zone is that for? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. We've gotten them, folks. We've yeah. gotten them in the past. <laughs> you know who you are. All right, uh-huh. so, all right. So, and then the DVD, of course, which is the uh, the special edition one. Make sure you're not using like what well, the despecialized, the despecialized. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. the one, or that that the one that um, yeah, 
I love those put out that has right. the original theatrical cuts. They're like real letter boxed and yes, it's like the size of a postage stamp in your middle of your TV. It's non anamorphic. Yeah, right, right. And the tech geeks were going ape. You know what? Crazy when that movie came oh. out. It was like that. But um, all right, so th- that um, special edition DVD. You know, this is the one where Han shoots whenever. Special edition DVD press play at ten o two forty eight p.m. Blu-ray mm-hmm. disc press play at ten o two forty two p.m. So you see, there's a slight variance in seconds with each one and you have to be extremely accurate you have to know your machine and have it queued up if you're using physical medium have it queued up so that the first thing you see when you hit play is that lucasfilm logo but you might be dealing with some sort of lag or delay after you hit the play button when you're dealing with physical medium depending on your actual unit you know uh you would know best it's like you know you know your kids better than anyone else does. You know your Blu-ray disc player better than anyone else. So plan accordingly. I recommend strongly the digital edition. Um, maybe just for uh, laughs, I'll do the old VHS one again this year. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I would miss it by like a minute some years. There are some years when it'd be, you know, they'd be like, oh, Jim, you totally miss it. I said, listen. <laughs> listen, the next year does not start in this house. Until that Death Star blows up. You know, people would be like, Happy New Year. No, no, no. Stop looking at clocks. We're on unofficial time now. Death Star is still, you know, it's T minus 10. So many good memories. But that's what you do when you're a parent and you have to stay home. I know a lot of people like to go out and party on New Year's. And uh, if you do. Oh, uh, what's that like? I, I haven't done that in. Jeez. You know, we, we call that amateur hour sometimes because it's uh, a lot of people are partying uh, maybe harder than they're used to. And they're, just be careful is all I'm saying. Have, you know, be very safe. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right, right. The people that, yeah, I got you. Yeah. You know, that's why we say amateur hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a professional and I'm staying home. So <laughs> figure that out. Well, it is a great tradition. I did it for the... I mean, I can't believe that it was just last year was my first time, but it was so much fun. And I, like I said, I got uh, my daughter involved. We were having all kinds of fun. We were texting Jim um, back and forth and leading up to the big, the big moment. So it's a great tradition to start in your house. So check it out. We'll have the details. RebelForceRadio.com. The Death Star will explode at midnight. All right, of course, you know, we're not only just looking at the year ahead, going into 2019, another big year for Star Wars as we allegedly close the books on the Skywalker saga. We'll find out if that's actually true. But nonetheless, Star Wars Episode Nine will be hitting theaters on December 20th, 2019. But we also take this opportunity to look back in the year that was. So we thought we would just take a little bit of time here on this week's very special holiday episode of Rebel Force Radio to look back at the year that was 2018 in Star Wars. 
And uh, Jim, as I look back on this list, the one thing that I notice, I just see so much of so much content coming out of um, the publishing arm at, uh, arms at Lucasfilm. So much in the comics, so much going on in the world of novelizations and uh, uh, both, for, you know, for adults as well as uh, some of the, the, the junior stuff for the for the younger kids. Um, one of the things I think we thought was going to happen, how naive of me when the expanded universe became legends was that the publishing side of the storytelling in star Wars was going to slow down a little bit. One of the problems we thought that we identified with the expanded universe of old was that it was too much too soon. Uh, It wasn't uh, special anymore. The novels and the storytelling was happening so rapidly. There was no time to make it an event. When we we think back about, you know, the heir to the empire trilogy, when we think back about shadows of the empire, when these were sort of uh, events unto themselves. Uh, But uh, boy, 2018, just nonstop when it comes to uh, the world of comic books and novels. What are your thoughts about, I, I know you you certainly do a better job than I do keeping up with that stuff, but if you had to kind of point to um, some highlights in the world of uh, Star Wars comic books uh, in 2018, what, what what would you be looking at? Oh, yeah. You know, you've heard me talk about it a lot of times over this past year on the show. It's the Marvel Darth Vader comic. Yeah. I think that's really been some great stuff, really capturing... Darth Vader and a moment of Star Wars on the timeline that is really appealing to me as Vader grows into becoming the the Dark Lord of the Sith post-Episode 3. I think it's been great. And uh, Charles Soule is the writer, and he's done a really good job creating uh, really cool storylines. And uh, for the most part, I think each issue has been a real winner. Unfortunately, that line wraps up this week with issue 25 and the conclusion of the Vader Mustafar, Vader's Castle arc. And uh, I'm not going to say a word about that comic on this show because it was just released today as this show is being recorded. I want people to have time to soak this one up if you're a big fan of that Vader line. And if you haven't read it yet, I strongly recommend checking it out. You can get issues of Marvel Darth Vader online at marvel.com. And it's uh, definitely worth your read if you're interested in what was going on there. Are there two Vader titles right now? There was a first Vader run. With Marvel that launched in 2015, and that I, I can't recall how many issues that ran, but it was around 25 or whatever, and that featured Vader dealing with the fallout of the events from Star Wars: A New Hope, learning Luke Skywalker was the one who blew up the Death Star, and mm-hmm. and drawing a conclusion to the fact that this could be the son of his and Padme's. It was interesting, but it didn't hit its stride hard enough for me, and it just kind of fizzled out, that one did. This second run that started in 2017, featuring Vader post-Sith, this thing's been off the charts. I've really enjoyed each and every arc. They've all really been very good. Um, One arc even featured Vader going through the Jedi Library 
and having a showdown with Jocasta New. And Jocasta New has an ancient weapon, looks like a blaster. You insert your saber into it, and it shoots lightsaber blasts. I was like, this is insane. What? This is not, yeah. It's just, it, it, it worked. It just works for the comics medium. It okay. does. All right. Okay. It does. In my book, it does. I think some people may have kind of been scratching their head. I know I can hear you scratching your head from here. Well, yeah, but I'm thinking of, you know, Ezra Bridger. He had sort of that hybrid blaster slash lightsaber weapon there for a while. Um, we're not talking about something like that, are we? No, 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 no. Because his was, sort of looked like a staple gun. looked like a rifle, this one. It looked oh, more like okay. a rifle. And, uh, hmm. Some ancient Jedi weaponry or something she had yeah, stashed. Not the Darksaber. Not the Darksaber. No, no. Um, okay. So that line, to me, that's been the highlight of publishing this year. There also okay. was another spinoff line with IDW Star Wars Adventures line where they did Tales from Vader's Castle. That came out last October and was sort of a ramp up to Halloween. It was just like scary stories in the Star Wars universe. Killer Ewoks, mm. what have you. Mm. All right. So there you go. Lots of stuff to choose from in the uh, land of Star Wars uh, publishing. Um, January saw the, the release of some of the additional episodes of uh, Forces of Destiny. We started seeing characters um, like, uh, well, well, we saw uh, Rose Tico uh, in an episode. We saw um, the Leia Chronicles. We saw, of course, uh, Ray. Um, Forces so, of Destiny yeah. was something that, um, you know, it, look, it, it was clear that it was it was there to uh, push a, a, a new toy line mm-hmm. for Hasbro, a uh, a toy line that was was geared more towards uh, young girls. Uh, I think that it was um, a, a fine experiment in terms of the the the, the video content. Uh, my big problem, you know, and this goes back to that first season of the Gendy series. I'm not a big fan of these like little minute, minute and a half, two minute shorts. It is not enough time. That's a commercial. There, that's not enough time, in my judgment, to really do anything of, of any real significance. As soon as I get into it, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like my love life. <laughs> well, we didn't need to go that far, but hey, it's the last show of the year. Whatever. <laughs> Why did it all hang out? Uh, you know, some episodes felt like there were more. Me- there was a little more meat on the bones than other episodes. Uh, I really am kind of fond of the uh, for- a few Forces of Destiny episodes. One in w- which I think all original trilogy fans should search out. It's uh, it's uh, episode twenty three, the path ahead, and uh, it features Luke in a training session with Yoda on Dagobah. And R2. And it's just the three of them. And Mark Hamill is supplying the voice of Luke Skywalker in this episode. And it's just so cool to see a young Luke, animated Luke, and voiced by Mark. All right, I'll go again. This time, go with you, I will. Really? Great. It'll be easier if I can follow you. No, not follow Carry me, you will. Carry you? Master Yoda, I can barely look out for myself up there. They gave him a little 
special sauce there in the sound mix to kind of make uh-huh. him sound okay. a little younger. You know, slightly mm-hmm. pitched him up a little. But, you know, Mark is, of course, a very talented voice actor himself, and maybe he can replicate himself. <laughs> I've, I've heard him try to replicate young Luke in uh-huh. the Robot Chicken oh, yeah. sketches. Turn to the dark side and join me. I'll never join you! You killed my father! No, Luke. I am your father. That's not true! That's impossible! It's impossible! Yeah, there's you hear so much of uh, old man Mark in there now. <laughs> because Mark has become such a character in himself. Yeah. Once he opened himself up to... To you know, once he embraced his connection to Luke Skywalker and started doing things like conventions and more fan-friendly sort of activities, we've seen him grow into this media creature. This, this, uh, I mean, just a, a pop culture character in his own right, and I mm-hmm. love it. I love it because mm-hmm. I think he's a great actor and. He cracks me up. So that's the one you want to check out, though, with Forces of Destiny. Episode 23, The Path Ahead, with guest star Mark Hamill as the voice of Luke Skywalker. Uh, also, um, 2018 saw the end of Star Wars Rebels. And uh, we had episodes like Jedi Knight and Doom premiere um, also, uh, Wolves in a Door, A World Between Worlds, all of that. Some very heavy stuff that uh, I think kind of changed the way that we, we look at the Force, particularly uh, A World Between Worlds and this ability to go sort of uh, Force walk back in time and you know pluck people out of a, a, a circumstance uh, like Ezra was able to do with... Ahsoka, Jim, we can debate whether or not that that's, um, you know, for better or for worse, that sort of expansion of force ability. But, you know, we don't want to be totally closed off from new experiences and new ideas. But it does sort of, I think, in, in a lot of ways, open a Pandora's box where it seems like, well, then, you know, nothing, nothing's forever. Anything could be changed. I don't know. I I, I'm, I struggle with that one a little bit, but it's. I'm not going to complain from the standpoint of of uh, leaving the series with Ahsoka Tano being uh, alive and well, and perhaps you know showing up in some sort of future project. The thing about the portals, and of course, the portals is being something explored a little bit from the dark side of things with the Vader comic. But these portals, um, the end of Rebels, it felt like they were trying to create a Mortis-type expansion on the mythology of the Force. Mm-hmm. The, but the thing is, is that with these portals, it's almost as if you are physically accessing the Force and going into it. And it's like this big auditorium. And it's it's that, right that idea yes. of, of actually physically entering into the realm of the force. I mean, do pe- people see Ezra? What he just like disappears when he pushes on that that rock? I'm gonna have to go back and review Rebels a little more. Mm-hmm. I was getting a little burnt out on Rebels toward the end, 
Yeah. And and there was some great stuff going on with that series too that I think deserves a second look. So I might dig up that Blu-ray and give it a spin during the holidays because it, it, I think it, it really deserves that. You know, the the real grand finale of Filoni's animated universe. Yep. Because in many ways, Rebels was a big extension of threads that were laid out for Clone Wars. And so that's why it really deserves me going back and looking at it. The thing that I always enjoyed the most about Mortis is... My my belief that the whole thing happened in a way of it really was a force vision for Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan. They never actually physically went to Mortis. There is no physical Mortis to go to. But you can exist within the realm when you're locked into the force like these three were. And they came across, they, they actually saw the physical the physical shape of Mortis, that big, Mm-hmm. That big pyramid on top of a pyramid that they encountered in space. But, I mean, even that in itself, was it physically there? No, I yeah. don't think so, because Yularen showed up, and mm-hmm. he had his fleet with him, and they didn't see any sort of mortis apparition in space. All of that stuff was the force connecting and talking and dealing with these people who were really strong in the force, Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka. So when you get to Ezra walking around in an auditorium and pulling people from real-life situations into the auditorium with him and changing the course of history, that is something that is truly not the force communicating in a metaphorical sort of sense. This no. is people it's quite entering, physical. Yeah. physically entering into the realm of the force to control events in history. You know, the thing that is, has sort of bothered me about the, the, the more that the force becomes material is to me, it flies in the face a lot of not not just established religion and faith, but what's been established in Star Wars. When when Yoda talks about luminous beings, are we not this crude matter? Well, Yoda is saying that this this doesn't matter. This doesn't this shell is incidental. What really matters is the the energy uh, that we uh, produce, that we um, manifest in the force. Um, So the more that you know, this was my issue with midichlorians. This is, you know, now my issue with, you know, plucking people out of, uh, you know, the space-time continuum. Um, is that it? 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 I think it creates a little bit too much reliance on the physicality of existence. Uh, whereas I think the force is really it should be more about the spirituality. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Rebels wrapped up in 2000. That seems like a long time ago, but it was just this year. I know. Wrapped up I in know. March. Hey, hey, listen, this discussion about the portals into the Force as mm-hmm. introduced in Rebels, this is something I want to continue in 2019. I think this deserves a little more of our attention than than we've given it thus far. Yeah, that's fair. Let's fair. I, I think these last five episodes starting with Wolves in the Door all the way through uh, Farewell, uh, we should rewatch those because I haven't seen them since they originally aired. Then again, uh, those wolves, what are they? Like some manifestation well, yeah. of the Force on the physical realm once again? <clears throat> and who's seeing them and who isn't? 
Ezra and why was, would they? And why would they do that when they knew they were going to have those ice wolves in the Last Jedi? <clears throat> well, well that's a fair question. Some sort of connection. Yeah, you know? there, there is kind of a similarity and um, you know potential confusion between the two species. That's that's interesting. But I uh, yeah, um, you know those wolves were appearing and physically transporting Ezra and uh, and Hera or no not Hera Canaan right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, physically transporting them across the plains. That kind of connection with the force is interesting. If the, can the force physically manifest itself? Can well, you, and arguably, yeah. Can right. you, is the force a place you can go to physically? Yeah, all of you, not just not just sitting there on a rock on an island. Thinking really hard, <laughs> thinking really. Yeah, hard. and I mean, and aren't we led to believe that 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 Canaan himself ends up inhabiting one of those wolves and sort of becoming, you know, there at the end? That's true. Yeah, let's you let's know. take a closer look. Yeah, at we need the to Rebels that. finale, and we can jump on that in early 2019. Heck, we got a whole year of downtime until we get up to uh, the streaming service. And then episode nine, and then we're going to be overwhelmed. So we'll never make it back to this, these cool conversations. And uh, that's something I want to explore a little bit more. Well, 2018 was also really the aftermath, I'm going to use that term, of The Last Jedi. We had The Last Jedi novelization was, was published in, uh, in March, as well as the junior novel, and then the, the uh, home video release. Uh, later that month in March, and um, that Jim allowed us to take you know f- you know fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth, twentieth uh, viewings of the film. We got to uh, sort of see what the novel might offer in terms of additional scenes, um, additional ideas, getting in the heads of the characters to try to make a little bit more sense of what we saw on the big screen. And, you know, as I look back on the the Blu-ray and as I look back on uh, the novelization, the only thing that really comes to mind is, you know, we saw a little bit more of Luke training Ray. We saw that third lesson that was cut from the film that ended up being kind of a, a, a bit of a prank uh, that Luke played on Ray as Ray thought that the... Uh, uh, I forget what those creatures were there on Octu, the Keepers, yeah. thought that they were being raided... She jumps to their defense, finds out they're just having a, a a party, and you know she ends up with egg on her face, and you know Luke makes it some sort of kind of weird lesson about intervention, which made me think of like Star Trek and the the Prime Directive and all of that. That's really the only contribution I can think of for the additional footage and uh, the additional um, narrative that the book provided. Was there anything? When you think about those materials that jumped out at you as far as something that, you know, helped or, or, or even detracted from The Last Jedi? Well, the book featured some interesting force visions that Luke was experiencing, right? At the very beginning of the book where he sees a different future for himself, where he has a wife. Oh, right. Yeah. Anything like that. And that was kind of interesting thing. That was interesting to put things in perspective, at least as far as what's going on in Luke's head in the last Jedi, because I don't think we get enough of what's really going on in Luke's head in the last Jedi. He Mm -mm. speaks in very broad terms quite often. He doesn't really just cut right to the chase. 
And, uh, you know, we get all you know, the flashbacks and all that stuff. But, I mean, really talking to Luke, really hearing what's going on in Luke's head. And so that sort of applies. Uh, it was a dream he was having where he mm-hmm. had this family. But he knew the dream was too strong. He knew it was the force taking advantage of him during his downtime when he was, you know, he couldn't just shut it off and it was able to invade his subconscious and he had this vision and the vision was telling him things about what could happen in the future. Also interesting in the novel at the very end, those keepers refer to Ray as Luke's niece. He'd been little trouble after that, though the same couldn't be said about his rude, destructive apprentice the one he'd said was his niece. What the hell? What? 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 Yes. I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. I don't remember us even talking about that. Yeah, we talked about it. Huh. Yeah, huh. We, we discussed. Luke's it's niece. been, you know, it's been that kind of year with, with The Last Jedi. Um, there, there's been some, I mean, we, we've had some really amazing analysis and conversations regarding that film. If you go back and listen to the first part of this year, some of our discussions, you know, having John Marcoux stop by and give us a whole mm. mythological breakdown of what's going on with Luke Skywalker as he sees it compared to the whole history of mythology and religion. Um I should say the whole history. That's putting a lot on Marcus's shoulders right there. You know, just from what he knows, you know, he the he hero's just, journey. He, and, he has yeah. he has mm-hmm. he has a really great way of breaking things down, and he's a student of all of that sort of things, and Joseph Campbell and filmmaking and all of that. Um, those are great conversations we had. But as the year has gone on, there have been, um, I you know, a lot of the Ryan Johnson. Um, posts and tweets and interviews and things like that have have kind of given me a different perspective on the film a little bit and i'm not really even saying in a good way um some of his it's almost like he just would reveal too much i i like leaving things a little more out there and 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 up to us fans to to provide analysis and break down you know lucas never really interfered with that People would ask George Lucas for definitions about things with Star Wars, and he'd be like, yeah, it means what you want it to mean. You know, he'd, he'd mm-hmm. always put the ball back in your court. And that's what great creators do. They leave the interpretation of their art to the person who is consuming that artwork. And that's where art is at its most powerful, is when it can be interpreted in many different ways. If art doesn't have that flexibility then it becomes agenda-driven. Uh-huh. And let's not forget, Mark Hamill himself went on the record by saying, this is not my Luke Skywalker. I almost had to think of Luke as another character. Uh, maybe he's Jake Skywalker. He's not my Luke Skywalker. So Luke Skywalker is basically denouncing Luke Skywalker. If anyone involved with the production of The Last Jedi should be in a position to claim ownership of that character, it's Mark Hamill himself. And Uh so I, you know, with all the explanations and things like that, then I started, I I start to reassess original reactions I had to the artwork and start placing it into a different, a different area of perspective that might not be one that I can necessarily appreciate. Pure honesty with that. And people say, well, why? Don't you be more 
specifically objective when you review George Lucas's films? Why don't you put them under the same amount of scrutiny? That's debatable because we've been talking about these films for a long time. And if you go back and listen to our shows, there's a lot of scrutiny going on there with all kind of films. Even, yes, the Holy Trilogy, the original trilogy. But, (laughs) yes, bow down and worship the original trilogy, of course. But, you know, everything has its flaws. The only thing is that when George Lucas was putting out his films, like especially the much maligned prequel trilogy, he wasn't taken to the Twitter and uh, raising holy hell about all kind of... I mean, if anything, George was dealing with it himself. They said Jar Jar was racist. They said the Nemoidians were racist. They said everything in that film was racist. So it was just a different time, I guess, and, and George wasn't as defensive as we've seen other artists in this age of social media act. Yeah. Again, my opinion, folks. I'm not telling anyone how to think or feel or anything like that. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I and I'm I'm 100 with you on. So that. it's colored my retrospective look. Yeah. At the Last Jedi, again, and I will say a million times that uh, I watched it and I had a good time watching it recently. And Jason, I would like you to watch. It. I think we all sort of need that kind of. You know, let's take a look at it again. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. I Look, I, here's the thing, and this is something that I think a lot of the critics of The Last Jedi miss uh, because they are so angry about it, is that um, I still find it uh, immensely enjoyable. I don't sit there and watch it and and am... Get angry. Yeah, right, and get angry about it. I love criticizing it. Yep. I love praising it where it's where it's... Worthy. I wouldn't have spent the last 13 years of my life doing a Star Wars podcast if I didn't like debating and talking about the good, the bad, the ugly and everything there is about Star Wars. You know, I mean, if you love something, you even love when it falls short. You know, you don't stop loving your favorite uh, football team because they, they, they lose a bunch of games. I mean, I live in Cleveland. I know this very well. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> you, right. I mean, yeah. you don't you don't stop loving Star Wars. Right. And you don't start rooting for it to fail. No, you root for just the because team. you don't love every. Absolutely. That's right. Um, but it goes the other way, too, where it's like, um, you know, I got a lot of miles on these tires. Uh, I've been a Star Wars fan for 40 years. Uh, 40 out of my, uh, my well, no longer than that. 41 out of my 41 years. I've been a fan. And I don't need to apologize for the fact that I might have a few issues with it here and there. You know, it still makes me a fan. Don't be, uh, you know, asking me to uh, turn in my fan card because I might have a, you know, a difference of opinion with how, you know, certain things were uh, were handled in these movies. Yep. Um, I, I, you know, if I had to. Well, look, we've, we've talked about it ad nauseum. We're, we're, what we're doing here is we're looking at... We're looking back at the year. And 2018. I think, and yeah. I think that a big thing, if you, look, if you look back at Star Wars, the year that was, 2018, something that does need to be addressed is the fallout from The Last Jedi. Because no that question. happened all in 2018, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, and and that's fine. That's fine. It, it, it's been a polarizing year for fandom. It's been a polarizing year for Star Wars. And uh, so we can just hope nothing but better things are going to happen in 2019. 
So that 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 is not going to close the book on the Last Jedi, no, sir. That's the thing that cracks me up. Why are you still talking about that film? It's been a year. <laughs> hey, wh- why are we still talking about the original Star Wars from 1977, A New Hope? That's been 42 years. Right. 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 So, of course, we're going to keep talking about it. If we don't talk about it, we don't have a show. Uh, all right. What else happened? Okay. Of course, The Last Jedi, uh, home video release. Um, James Cameron had a show called uh, the story, the story of science fiction or the history of science fiction. And that was, I believe on AMC, George Lucas was featured on that. And, uh, there's some great highlights. Um, I thought I was able to find one here. Uh, let's see if I can, if there's any way I might be able to pull this over for us to listen to. I watched a few episodes of that. Uh, one great episode was, um, focused on aliens, and of course, yeah. you know, both George Lucas and James Cameron know a lot about aliens. And uh, Cameron asked Lucas where he got his inspiration when it came down to creating those aliens. And George said, oh, just go to the aquarium. I oh, swear to God, right. he yeah. said that. I swear to God. <laughs> it's a trap. I think this might be from that interview. Let me let's listen here real quick. Science fiction. You got two branches. One is science. Yeah. And the other is social. I'm much more of the 1984 kind of guy. Sure. Than I am. THX with The spaceship guy. Yeah. The spaceship. I got into <clears throat> spaceships out of cars. Yeah. I love cars. I love going fast. Going fast. So I like spaceships. Yeah. But it isn't the science aliens and all that kind of stuff that I get focused on. It's the, it's the how do the people react to all those things. All right. And of course, uh, later that month. Star uh, Solo, a Star Wars story opened in theaters. Uh, Jim, we had a wonderful time there in um, my own backyard. Uh, Solo in Ohio, we did a big uh, live podcast at the beautiful uh, uh, Playhouse Square uh, Performing Arts Center in the, the Kennedy's uh, Cabaret, and we filled the place and had a wonderful time. And the night before that, we we actually saw the film. And, um, you know, I just keep playing back in my head something that you said right here on the show a couple weeks ago as I was lamenting the fact that here we are, it's December, we're approaching the holidays and no new Star Wars movie. And you said, boy, I tell you what, I'd like to be uh, gearing up to go see Solo in the theater right about now. And what that what that did was it just kind of reminded me of really what a kind of a lost opportunity uh, that movie was. Um, I think if it if there would have been a full year between it and the last Jedi, I think the story would have been markedly different. Now, if we have time, we've got a couple of um, end of year stories that are sort of tell two different tales of uh, solo, a star Wars story. But, you know, from this point of view, looking back on it, um, it's, it's really a fun movie to go back and watch. And, I don't see how anyone could be that disappointed in it, to be able to tell you the truth. It's really quite good. It's great immersion into the Star Wars universe. And uh, it's awesome to see stormtroopers and droids and everything that makes Star Wars Star Wars is represented in that film. And, uh, you know, barring the Force and lightsabers, man, you get a small little taste when... Darth Maul is big balling it there in that hologram. (laughs) 
But other than that, you, you know, it's it's fairly void of the mythology, the spirituality edge of the mythology specifically. It is. Yeah, it is. And, uh, it stands on its own. It's it's uh, you know it, it it definitely deserves your attention as a Star Wars fan, as a fan of Han Solo. It's one of Chewbacca's best movies. <laughs> Chewbacca gets a lot of love in this movie. Yeah. He does, and Jonas doing a great job. His first movie inheriting so the entire role, I believe. Right? Was or did he do all of uh, Last Jedi, or was Peter doing a little bit of that Last Jedi work? Peter did a little bit. Uh-huh. The, the times I can really recognize Peter is in that last scene in The Force Awakens in the cockpit when Ray and Chewie are flying off to Octu to go find Luke. Hmm. You in. She looks over at Chewie, and Chewie sort of nods his head at her. That's clearly Peter Mayhew. That's yeah. clearly Peter. But uh, I think his actual appearance in costume is very, very rare throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Even what, what about Last Jedi? Oh, Peter wasn't in that at all. He wasn't in that at all. No. Okay, so Force Awakens was it for Peter. Yeah, that was kind of just a leg- like a legacy move for them mm-hmm. to yeah. show appreciation to Peter for all he's done over the last four decades, creating that character on screen, having Peter there to occasionally give Jonas a little, uh, little tip here and there as to Wookiee style and <laughs> how it works. And I think that's invaluable. They brought back Peter... When they were animating Chewbacca in the Clone Wars. And there was the big Wookiee Trandoshan showdown that Ahsoka found herself in the middle of. And I think that was, uh, I want to say that was near the end of season four. But uh, that was uh, really great episodes and so well animated. And the Chewbacca presented in those Clone Wars episodes were just a dead-on recreation of the on-screen character of Chewie. You didn't see that all the time in Clone Wars. The R2 in Clone Wars seemed didn't seem screen accurate to me, nor did the 3PO. There were liberties taken for the realm of animation, and of course, you know, I, I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone for that, but there was extra care taken with Chewie just to make sure he was so exact and accurate. And they brought in Peter, and they had Peter walking around and stuff, and the animators are looking at him. And <laughs> they went to the ranch, into the archives, and dug up some old chewy costumes and stuff, and masks. Yeah, it, was like watch, it was like watching those uh, Disney animators working on Lion King going to the zoo, the way they were studying Peter Mayhew, like he was some sort of you know exhibit. But they wanted to get every little nuance down. As best they could while they had that opportunity. And then he would he would offer information to him too. Like you know, Chewie would like kind of tilt his head to the left, you know, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I just I love that respect given to the legacy actors who created the legendary characters. I really yeah. do. Now Solo, of course, uh, also featured a big soundtrack release, John Powell making his debut as a Star Wars composer, but it did feature an original theme from the maestro himself, John Williams. Uh, Jim, when you think back to, um, you know, we were all excited about hearing uh, uh, Michael Giacchino's uh, uh, soundtrack for Rogue One. It was close. Then- that, was, that, was, that was probably your fifth alternate way of saying that guy's last name. Giacchino? Guy nope, Aquino? Nope, did I, nope. What did I say? Guy Aquino? It's, 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 it's Giacchino. Giacchino. Like okay. Yeah. All right. Michael All Giacchino. Right. 
Michael Giacchino. We were all, of course, waiting for that. Now we've got uh, John Powell throwing his hat in the ring. Um, when you look back at the solo soundtrack and you compare it to that, the work of uh, uh, Giacchino, whatever. Giacchino. Uh, Giacchino, Giacchino. fine. Uh, when you compare the two, uh, what are your thoughts? I think the soundtrack to Rogue One stands out and mm-hmm. stands on its own. Yeah, I do too. I do and, too. and the story behind it is so cool because he was under such pressure and the deadline was impossible. But yet he created, I think, a Star Wars classic worthy of sitting up on the shelf next to the John Williams soundtracks. I, I really think Giacchino did a fantastic fantastic job amazing amazing because of course they were going with the uh, their original pick for uh, soundtrack uh, composer was uh oh Desplat yeah. and uh so they they bailed on him I think it's Duplat Duplat yeah and I th- they bailed on him you know there might have been a moment where they were out at sea for a little while not knowing what they were going to do despite the fact that the clock was ticking Mm-hmm. And Giacchino just came in out of nowhere. Well, by way of J.J. Abrams, I think. Well, of course. Of right. course, there's the connection. And Giacchino was a stormtrooper in The Force Awakens. Another cameo. There you go. Uh, there's a pop culture cameo for you. Not exactly an A-lister, but certainly one when it comes to film composition. And uh, Giacchino did what a great job he did with that Rogue One. So Under the Gun, I think, composed everything within a matter you know, in under a month, like a matter of weeks, two weeks, three weeks, it was such a tight schedule. You can look up the story online if you want, but uh, I don't have all that information right in front of me. I'm just talking about what I remember from when it all went down. And it was an amazing, highly pressurized situation that guy was in. Now, he does have, or he did have, prior experience composing Star Wars because he did work for the Disney parks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the... um the ride there that you always turn blue on. Uh, the, uh, yeah, Star Tours. Star yeah. Tours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did the new music. And it's uh-huh. very Williams-inspired and, and everything. So, yeah, yeah, perfect guy, perfect guy. Bring him back is what I say. Now, no knock on the solo guy, okay? I just We're talking about the year that was, and I'm going back right. to 2016 talking about yeah. that because I'm still just you know impressed you- by that. But you can't talk about John Powell, I don't think, you know, and 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 solo without thinking about uh Giacchino. Well here's the thing. I haven't given the solo soundtrack the time of day. Why is that? I love music. I love Star mm-hmm. Wars. Part of the overall Star Wars experience is soaking in all the different mediums that are connected to it. And one of my favorite ones is the soundtrack. Why have I not taken a deep dive into that soundtrack? I don't know. I don't know either. Hmm. Uh, you know, maybe it's because it's, I'm still just like trying to decipher the last Jedi so much <laughs> that like solo is almost like that bratty little brother who's running up after you when you're trying to hang out with your friends and you're going to go out and hang out with your friends and you got the you know the little kid is coming up he wants to hang with you it's like I don't have time I got to we're going to go meet some <laughs> girls and there's a band we're going to go see and some 
I mean, I love you, but I can't spend time with you right now. And that's how I feel about Solo. I love you, Solo, a Star Wars story. <laughs> but I just, I can't spend time with you. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out this Last Jedi stuff. This is adult crap I'm going through here. <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, well, we're not See, that's 2018. Is just like it's just a yeah. big ball of stress when it comes it to Star Wars. And just oh, being someone who loves Star Wars and wants to spend the most time with it, I just can't. It was a tough year. I mean, it was a really tough year. I mean, the it just went places that it just shouldn't have gone. Quite honestly, you know, it's. Uh, we as Star Wars fans should be able to have our favorites and our least favorites and, you know, uh, be able to talk about these movies like we've always talked about them. I mean, there's no difference between, you know, me or you not liking a character in a Ryan Johnson Star Wars film any different than somebody in 1983 hating the Ewoks because they were just there to sell toys. There's no difference. Nobody was going around calling those people deplorable names. Anyway, I don't want to get off on all of that. Another hey, listen, big moment. Listen, all I have to say about that, and let's just you know think reasonably and rationally. Mm-hmm. No one ever said it was going to be easy following up George Lucas when it comes yeah. to Star Wars. No one ever said that was going to be easy. Huge shoes to fill. Well said. Well said. Our another big moment was uh, in July. Uh, Dave Filoni at San Diego Comic-Con announced that Clone Wars was saved and that there would be a revival of the series and that it would premiere on the uh, Disney streaming service. We now know as Disney Plus. That was a huge moment. Um, I think it was a real full circle moment for us, Jim, because um, we've talked about this on the show many times. But if you go back and listen to those episodes of Rebel Force Radio, uh, we were tuned in to what was going on. We we knew that Clone Wars was not long for uh, the world. We hoped that there might be an opportunity to change it. And a lot of people called uh, you specifically paranoid, uh, saying that, uh, oh, there's no way. The, the Clone Wars is definitely coming back. It's too popular. Uh, you, you were saying, look, I think there's problems out there. I don't th- I think this is going to be uh, dropped. And um, by the time everyone else sort of caught up to what you were talking about, it was too late. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were hearing whispers from within. And uh, just and and the the people who were letting us know were just doing it purely out of love for the series and fear that it was going to be stripped away from Star Wars fans. And it really was. It was very abrupt, very abrupt. And no one was really ready for it. I was trying to prepare people and trying to develop some online support uh, and a- actual physical support by uh, suggesting people write in and uh, call us. And uh, we, we sent in a bunch of uh, voicemails and stuff in their direction and um, just fan support, you know, good old fashioned grassroots ground uh, swell of support for the Clone Wars, and it was heard. It was heard, because then they put into production the Clone Wars Lost Missions. And that was, honestly, the greatest thing that that they could have done at that. They could have just pulled the plug on the whole thing. Put it all on the shelf, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they did with Star Wars Detours, which still sits up on the shelf. 
Maybe we'll see that in 2019 as part of the Disney Plus streaming service. But, you know, looking back, it was, uh, it was a, a wild time, the Clone Wars. And then now to hear that, uh, that have that announcement over the summer that Clone Wars is going to return next year on the streaming service. Wow, that's, uh, that's really great. And I do think we'll get an announcement about Star Wars Detours as well. Not that I really even care any other, you know, I just don't even care. I'm more curious about the Clone Wars. I want to know if this is something that could actually create the foundation for a Clone Wars revival mm. where it comes back. I thought it would take 10 years for that to happen. I really did. I'm surprised to see that. You, you mean 10 years from when it ended? Yeah. Because yeah. it is going to be about, by the time it, it premieres, about 12 years from when the series started. We just had the 10th anniversary. And that, in fact, that was actually the occasion that prompted them to uh, make the announcement about it coming back. So it's 10 years since the premiere. It's been off since 2013. It's yeah. been off the air. And then right. they, they had the uh, streaming with the Netflix with the Lost Missions, and then everyone jumped on board with Clone Wars once it hit Netflix. Best thing to ever happen to that show. Next to us, of course, in our grassroots groundswell of support. Uh, but no, Netflix was huge and, uh, and, and incredible and uh, really helped establish a future for Clone Wars. And, of course, the fans, the fan base always staying loyal People like Ashley Eckstein, always out there in the public eye, doing things with her universe. These are things that have kept Clone Wars alive. So that announcement, while shocking, was not surprising. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. It's like, well, of course they're bringing back. We weren't expecting it. Shock. But no surprise because it makes common sense. There's, there's still, I think there's still gas in that tank. Now, we will be dealing with a post-George Lucas Clone Wars. Which makes me nervous. Sure. But we Potentially have even a, a, a post-Dave Filoni yeah, Clone right. Wars. We have uh, no confirmation about his involvement. This is true, isn't it? Yeah. He now, announced he, it. You know, I think we might, there, there might have been some indication out there that Dave was working on it. I, yes, there is, because I saw a photo of him with core cast members, and it was posted on social media. I don't know whose account it was, but it was Filoni in the recording studio with Matt Lanter, Ashley Eckstein, um, mm. uh, who else? Uh, D, D. Bradley Baker was in the shot. Who am I missing? But yeah, that's a fairly recent shot. So he definitely has been involved in current Clone Wars production. Okay. So, right, busy guy, good. busy guy. Yeah, yeah. 2018 also saw the passing of uh, famous Star Wars producer Gary Kurtz mm. uh, as he passed away in September uh, earlier this year. Uh, Gary was a, a, a huge part of uh, Star Wars as well as The Empire Strikes Back, and uh, you know his contributions are legends, so it was sad to say goodbye to him. Someone I don't think we ever got a chance to interview, did we, Jim, nope. here on the on the show. Nope. No, not at all. Uh, ran into him a couple times, just sort of behind the scenes, but never really had any sort of dialogue with him or anything. It was just like, wow, there's Gary Kurtz. How cool. Yeah, uh, but right. you know, um, I recommend people check out star Wars influences. Number 30 
remembering Gary Kurtz, where Paul and myself, we look back at his career. And uh, so, he, yeah, he was truly a guy who had a lot to do with making Star Wars what it was and getting those original two films into the can, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and you can tell, I mean, there, there just seems to be a more natural synergy between Star Wars and Empire in relation to any other of the films that have come out since then. Huh. It just seems like Star Wars and Empire, it's like peanut butter and jelly. And then yeah. Jedi is just like, there's just something about Jedi that, to me, has always looked a little different. Hmm. Like, I can tell they're not in Tunisia when mm. it comes to the Jabba mm-hmm. Palace stuff. Right. I just know they're not in Tunisia. Chewie's flock of seagulls hair as well? No, I don't. Listen, I like that. I think they should have given Chewie a different hairstyle for each film. Like, <laughs> I, like a mohawk in one film, a flat top, a Mr. T look. <laughs> They should have they should have switched them up. They would have sold a ton more action figures. Let me tell you. But uh, uh, you know, and then sometimes you could be like Bieber, you know, and what he's got. Okay, so then in October, uh, so 2018, such a unique year. Two Star Wars films. Uh, well, Last Jedi was technically not 2018, but was still in theaters in 2018. Um, along with Solo, but you also had the end of Rebels and the beginning of Resistance. So you had two Star Wars films, two Star Wars animated series. Uh, Resistance premiered on October 7th, 2018. And uh, boom, you know, right away, uh, episode, 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 episode. And I got to confess, outside of uh, Lego Freemakers, this is the first... Star Wars uh, television, anything that I have not, I've not followed. I watched about the first three or four episodes, um, and there just wasn't enough for me to, you know. I can't say that I won't, you know, find some time over the holiday break to say, yeah, maybe I should at least catch up on maybe maybe the last couple. I know Leia made an appearance there at the end, um, and uh, Poe comes back into it. That's the idea. That's enough to bring me back into it a little bit, but uh, there just wasn't enough happening. It was just like the the TV show where nothing happens. The last thing you want to have occur in a Star Wars production of any level is a feeling of claustrophobia. I get claustrophobic on the platform. Hmm. And there have been some episodes where they've left the platform, and those episodes are standout episodes. The last one of 2018, episode 11, Station Theta Black. That was a good one because they got off the platform, and they're flying around, and it's all kind of good stuff. You want Star Wars to feel big and broad. It was a big problem. Not I shouldn't say big problem. Looking back at Star Wars Rebels Season 1. But I did note that when we talk about the episodes, people were starting to feel a little bit of Lothal fatigue. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, how I remember I, those days. Stuck, still on the same planet now, and we're 20 episodes in. It just, 
it started to wear on people a little bit because I think it's important for Star Wars to always spread its wings and its stories and take you into the stars. You know, that's where the wars should be. Not right. on a grassy plain somewhere over and over and over again. And not on some refueling platform in the middle of an ocean. We don't even know anything about the planet they're on. Is it completely water covered? And the platform yeah. is the only thing there? I mean, they have even gone to other platforms for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very small. It's a very small... Um, I, I like the animation style. I know that that was a big, uh, you know, that was a, a contentious thing when it first uh, started, you know, showing clips and all of that. I, I, I like the animation style quite a bit. I like the flexibility of not being, you know, in that uh, 3D CGI environment where you got to have all these different models and it's so expensive to create new looks for characters i like the traditional um sort of flatter uh, 2d animation um because of the fact that it could potentially change up so quickly but yet now you know story-wise you, you don't even have any need for that whereas you know with the previous shows it would have been nice to be able to uh, show the characters in different outfits and uh, maybe evolve the looks a little faster um, because the the story was much more fast paced in the case of resistance it 's like they might as well be you know c g models because ain 't nothing happening with these characters well i mean it is you know based in c g the way they animated it 's just a, a different well you know what i 'm saying you know what i 'm saying it's it's it 's they can move a lot faster with this style of animation. Well, I don't know about that. With- I don't know about that because there have been a repetition of the same characters, even in the background and everything in each and every episode. You'll hmm. be like, oh, there's that guy again. And then there's that random Hoth trooper that's walking around. He comes up to the bar. He has a drink and walks away. It's like, dude, why are you dressed for Hoth out here on this <laughs> fueling platform in the ocean? But there he is. Yeah, I want to know more about that guy. <laughs> Who is the Hoth trooper hanging out on the resistance platform? <laughs> There's probably some explanation for me that will uh, clear it all up. But, uh, oh, no, he's not a Hoth trooper. What you're actually seeing there is like, no, no, no. What I'm seeing there is a Hoth trooper. That's what I see. That's what, you know, this, uh, for, I've been a fan for 42 years. These old eyes see a Hoth trooper. You, you're going to be hard-pressed to explain to me. I think we're really, you know, kind of shifting into the Archie Bunker phase of our fandom. We may be. We may be. Don't tell me (laughs) what Star Wars should be, where it should be, how it should happen. I know. (laughs) You know, I don't don't know how that's all going to shake out. I'm sure we'll do some soul searching over the holidays and we'll come back in with a fresh perspective for 2019. That's what the new year is all about. That's right. That's right. Uh, also, well, let's see. Uh, November there, mid-November, we lost uh, Stan Lee. And you're saying, well, what, what does he have to do with Star Wars? Well, Stan Lee was very uh, instrumental in uh, the Star Wars license going to Marvel back in the 70s. He was there. Uh, he heard Sir Alec Guinness was going to be in the film. And he's like, oh, yeah. Give it the I green like light. Guinness. <laughs> Give it the green light, baby. Um, something that uh, went by me, I, and I, I don't believe we talked about it on the show, uh, but uh, in November there, towards the end, uh, Gloria Katz passed away, one half of the uh, script doctor duo yeah. of uh, uh, William Hayek 
and uh, Gloria Katz worked on uh, American Graffiti with George Lucas, worked on THX, and uh, did some uncredited work on the screenplay for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. So true, and, and uh, really became fans of the hikes when I grabbed a copy of Star Wars The Annotated Screenplays. This came out in the late 90s and was really the first publicly available breakdown outside of the Internet. Uh, the, you know, of course, the uh, earlier drafts for the Star Wars films leaked to the Internet real early on. You know, it was like one of the first Star Wars things I ever saw on the Internet was the original draft for Star Wars by George Lucas. Those scripts were everywhere. And they still are everywhere online. You can go look them up. StarWarsWithAZ.com. Check it out. I love that website. Um, But this book, Star Wars The Annotated Screenplays, you have an author, Lauren Bozeru, who worked at Skywalker Ranch and had access to all of these drafts, even handwritten notes from George Lucas about developing the script for the original Star Wars. Actually, this goes all the way through the entire trilogy. But when we're thinking about the hikes, uh, Gloria Katz and Willard Hike, her husband, they wrote all of the revisions, the most significant dialogue contributions were written by them, and they all ended up in a revised fourth draft. And they're in the annotated screenplays book. You should check it out if you can... If you have access oh, to one uh, of the very best books, yeah. If you have access, it, w- it was the Bible for the longest time until yeah. uh, J.W. Rensler uh, had his way in at Skywalker Ranch. But this book, what's great is it takes you through the script and it actually applies asterisks to each line that was supplied by the hikes, Gloria Katz and Willard. Things like, um, when Luke says, well, not unless you can alter time, speed up the harvest, or teleport me off this rock. And then 3 Peel says, I don't think so. I'm only a <laughs> droid and not very knowledgeable about such things. Not on this planet anyway. I mean, they really added a lot of the character stuff. Mm. You know, uh, George Lucas was very responsible for giving the motivations and history to these characters and uh, a lot of, you know, most of their dialogue. But the hikes punched up this script. Gloria was was credited also with punching up a lot of uh, Princess Leia's dialogue in particular. Yeah. That that was one that she that really resonated with her. So some of that sassy dialogue that is so associated with Carrie Fisher there in that original film came from Gloria. I believe she was about 70, I think 76 when she passed away. But uh, certainly a loss. And... Um, Excuse us for, for, for missing that. That just happened there at the end of November, right after Thanksgiving, around the 25th. Oh, so, here's, you know what? Here's a good one. And okay. we're, we're actually going to play the audio from the film here because it's one of the greatest Han Solo moments of all time. Uh, uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, it's like weapons malfunction. But uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Uh, boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're going to have company! 
Yeah, that see that scene right there is one that you wouldn't even think that it was ever written on a page. It it feels so natural that uh, you know. I, it, for all I know, it could have been a, a Harrison Ford, you know, on set improv moment, but it's not. It's thanks to uh, the genius of the hikes. So uh, rest in peace, uh, Gloria. Thank you for all the great funny lines in uh, in Star Wars. Too bad you couldn't have worked on the prequels. Anyway, all right. Well, that's it. That's that's my statement on 2018. It was uh it was probably one of the most unique years as a as a Star Wars fan. A lot of content, a lot of Star Wars storytelling, uh and a let's face it, a very fractured fan base. Yeah. There's no question about that. An emotional roller coaster for sure. And um Still in a good place, though, going into 2019 in relationship to Star Wars. I still love it. And uh, I I was really thankful, Jason, that we could just break all this down and talk about the Star Wars that was uh, presented out in front of us and avoid a lot of the controversies and Bob Iger statements and all this and that and just really concentrate on the Star Wars that was when it comes to 2018 and the things that fans were presented by Lucasfilm. And uh, that was a great rundown right there. I don't think there's anything we left behind. If we did, let us know. Show at rebelforceradio.com. Let us know what you thought was your highlight for 2018. And maybe we can run through some highlights that you guys have on an upcoming episode of RFR in 2019. As we can continue to look back at 2018 and go, oh my God, thank God we made it. So, <laughs> so yeah, the Star Wars, the year that was. Got a couple more things for you before we wrap up the show. Rebel Force Radio. You've already made that Star Wars reference. Your source for the Force. Star Wars parody! <laughs> All right, uh, Star Wars in pop culture. Uh, Jim, what do you got for us here? I can't, based on the show notes, I have no idea what this might be. Okay, this is every little bit of Star Wars in pop culture that we didn't get to this year, and it kept getting pushed (laughs) back and pushed back and pushed back. Uh Uh-huh. So uh, the first one I'm going to look at is... John Williams. We were talking about John Williams earlier in Star Wars soundtracks. Well, let's not forget that for every Michael Giacchino that's out there nipping at his heels, John Williams is still standing strong and still working hard. And he's going to provide more new Star Wars music, the Episode Nine soundtrack, of course, and with Disney's Galaxy's Edge. And we got our first little listen to uh, a piece of music that John composed, recorded by the London Symphony Orchestra at Abbey Road Studios. John did not travel out there to actually lead the orchestra, but this is his composition. Fresh John Williams. We're just going to give you a little taste of it here, but this is the Galaxy's Edge theme. This is what you're actually going to hear in the parks when it opens later on in 2019. And it was composed by John Williams himself.
that felt very prequely to me, actually. Right. Yeah, I, I um, get that too. There's and that's not a criticism. I don't mean that as a criticism. It just it sure sounds like John Williams music. Oh yeah, but there's nothing I could really latch on to. Um, I think if you listen to the entire track, you'll note little nods here and there to existing Star Wars compositions. But right there on a, is a theme on its own, though. Does it does it stand out to me? No, um, I'm sure if I'm in the park for more than an hour or two, I'll. <laughs> It'll be burned into my brain like crazy. <laughs> but the the most important thing is John Williams is still creating, in his 90s, still creating new Star Wars music. And I think that's just incredible. So, uh, you know, that'll be, uh, that's destined to be a, a future classic. For sure. That's a, that's a big deal. To have that continuity for so long, it's, that's huge. Um, something else that was a big deal? You don't get much bigger than superheroes and... Superman and Supergirl, Supergirl, a uh, big hit show on, uh, what is that, the CW now? I think it's on CW. Yeah. And I guess there was a, I, I haven't watched this show, although I, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, what's her name? I remember she was on Glee. She also uh, took a turn out on uh, on Broadway just last summer. I believe she was playing the part of uh, of Carol King in the Carol King story. Beautiful. You're talking about Supergirl herself? Supergirl herself, yeah. Her name's escaping me. It's not escaping me. I know who Supergirl is. Did you Google uh, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, I can't believe I, I punched in Supergirl. And I remember she's, got, a, she's got an odd last name. The last name, I think, there's something about it that's... Uh... Her name is Melissa Benoist. Benoist. Benio, Benoist, Benoist. Who cares? Is it Benoit? No, I can't say. No, it's Benoist. 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 I think it's Benoist. Benoist. Hey. Benoist to us. She might kick your ass, you Supergirl. Those bagels, they're very Benoist. Hey. So <laughs> Supergirl is... Uh, DC is going to dip their toes into the Star Wars universe. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Corporate synergy be damned. <laughs> Okay, Marvel, I'm looking uh-huh. at you. Here comes DC, your kryptonite, playing around with Star Wars now. How do you feel about that? Thank God Stan's not around to see this. <laughs> but here it is. It's uh, season three, episode number 23. Uh, recent episode of Supergirl. I think this aired sometime in the last month or so. But uh, you get a nice Star Wars reference here. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. I assume that's some sort of film reference. We never showed you Star Wars? Not a single Star Wars? <laughs> a single Star Wars. <laughs> so uh, Supergirl showing that Marvel is not the only comic book line that can play around with Star Wars. We have DC. Boy, that, that's, almost, that's a violation almost, I think, if you're Marvel. You know? Yeah. Yeah, huh? you're like that's Supergirl's talking Star Wars. No, it, it's fine. Star Wars is too big for any sort of corporate entity. This is, it's this is pop culture reference time, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars belongs to the universe. Hell yeah! Not just say those, loud, say proud. Those suits over there at Marvel, Disney, Lucasfilm. Come on, down with those suits. Hey, it even goes back, way back to the original Knight Rider. That's right, the Hoff. David Hasselhoff, check it in right here, right now. 
Star Wars and pop culture. We got the Hoff in the house. We're going to play a clip from Knight Rider. Not just any Knight Rider. The pilot episode. The very first episode of Knight Rider features a Star Wars reference in a most incredibly historic moment for the show. It's when the Hoff sits down in the kit for the very first time. And there's a Star Wars reference. Welcome aboard the Night 2000. Thank you. What's all this? Looks like Darth Vader's bathroom. (laughs) That's it. But it's so profound. Darth (laughs) Vader's bathroom... (laughs) What Darth Vader's bathroom is a is a is a Trans Am? Can we hear that one one more time, please? Welcome aboard the Night Two Thousand. Thank you. What's all this? Looks like Darth Vader's bathroom. <laughs> Why did they call it the Night Two Thousand? I thought it was called the Kit. Yeah, it's the Night Two Thousand was Kit. That was the that was. Oh, the, so the Kit is the nickname. For yeah, Kit was the yeah exactly. All right. Well, at very first, the nickname was Darth Vader's bathroom. <laughs> well, <laughs> and so you have to wonder don't know how they would have carried that through the series. I know uh, that's a shame they couldn't figure been hard. it out. They couldn't figure it out. Like, what would Darth Vader's bathroom be like? Is it like that meditation thing he sits in, where it's, and the crane lifts the clamshell up and down and. He sits in there and does. Is that what Vader's doing when Piet walks in? I don't know. I I feel like that uh, some of the tie-in authors have tried to answer this in you know grisly detail about Darth Vader's bathroom habits. Haven't we heard this before in some of the expanded universe? I think so. I think so. I wonder what it would be like in Darth Vader's bathroom. What? I'm so sorry. I thought this was the ladies. I'm sorry, I confused the symbol with my cloak. It looks like a dress from behind. I'll leave you to it. Don't worry. I'm so sorry. I'm such an idiot. Oh, and it stinks in here. Oh, Vader. What? Like Darth Vader's bathroom. What? All right, that's going to do it for us this week and this year. Here at Rebel Force Radio, thank you all so much for not just listening this week, but uh, all your support. It has been a year of great highs and uh, and some lows, and you've always been there. And we thank you so much for your support and your listenership, your emails, your voicemails. They really, really do uh, make all the difference in the world. So thank you for that. It's been our pleasure to be here with you all year. Just some reminders. Rebel Force Radio is available on Patreon. Exclusive content that you'll only hear when you subscribe. 
and support our efforts at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. You'll never miss an episode of any of that bonus content like RFR Rush Hour, RFR Rewind, the RFR Q&A. And uh, we've been talking about some other different types of programming you might see debuting in 2019, all part of the patron exclusives. Uh, Jim, anything else that uh, may have landed on the uh, patron exclusive feed? Some of the highlights, uh, we've talked about some of the previous Clone Wars Declassifieds. Well, yeah, definitely the Clone Wars Declassifieds and a great edition of the Filoni Files. Filoni Files number three. It's dropped out there on the Patreon feed, and it's a good one. It's it's really the first time, Jason, you and me got very in-depth with, with Dave Filoni, and it's about 90 minutes of uh, some... Really hardcore chat about Clone Wars Season 1 up to the midway point, and we delve into some more universal Star Wars topics. You can find some highlights from the Filoni Files right now at our uh, YouTube channel, and there's three good ones out there. And then, of course, the full interview is available at patreon.com slash Radio. And if you'd like to uh, shoot us an email, we'd love to... Read it here at Rebel Force Radio, that email address, show at rebelforceradio.com. Voicemail line 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. Uh, we are on Facebook, so check us out there. The official website is rebelforceradio.com. And uh, we've got, of course, um, most of our archives are available there. And uh, as well as some merch, you can pick up some T-shirts, a coffee mug. A little something for that Star Wars fan in your life. We appreciate it very much. All the proceeds go help out the podcast efforts. Uh, iTunes, still the best place, I think, to subscribe and review Rebel Force Radio and all your favorite podcasts. Uh, for those reviews, just one rule, please. Make them good. And you can find Rebel Force Radio. We're streaming online just about everywhere you can find podcasts like WGNplus.com, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it. We're there, and that's because of you. So thank you all so much. Have a wonderful and very Merry Christmas, a fabulous New Year. Keep it tuned to the Rebel Force Radio feed. If there's a trailer that drops, you might be hearing from us. Otherwise, we'll see you in the new year. Love you all so much. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.